mine can't. There we go. Is that better? All right. God bless you guys. Man, it is good to just be with you. Danny just reminded me. She's like, can you believe that we, we didn't meet last year for Easter? I didn't even think of that until she just said it. So it's good to celebrate with you guys. It is. It's great to have the Digatonos here. Tony, they drove six hours to be with us this morning to minister to us. So thank you guys. Always such a blessing. Um, I want to pray right now with you before we get talking here. God, I just thank you so much for just your amazing goodness, Father. We do celebrate you, Father, with praises for your goodness. Father, I pray that the hearers right now would receive what you desire. Father, I thank you for words to speak as we just glorify you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So that's something, uh, receiving is something I've been hearing a lot lately today. And I believe God wants you to receive something this morning. All throughout you know, our time of prayer and, and just fellowship this morning and just hanging out, I've heard that word receive a lot, that God wants us to receive, receive, receive. So I trust you're going to be sitting there just heart open, ready to what? Amen, amen. So we're going to talk a little bit about um, the birth of Christ this morning. No, we're not going to talk about the birth of Christ this morning. We're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. And, uh, and I want to just throw this out there. What, what makes Jesus rising from the dead special? You ever think about that? What's that? Well, no. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Exactly. Lazarus was raised from the dead. That's Jesus' buddy. In fact, Lazarus was in the tomb for four days, and Jesus raised him from the, from the dead. But our friend Lazarus died after that. And the big difference with Jesus being raised from the dead is that God says that he was the first born from the dead. And that is the game changer, folks, that Jesus Christ would be born from the dead. I want to look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Referring to Jesus, he is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might, have, might come to have first place in everything. When it says that Jesus Christ is the beginning, it literally reads that he is the beginning of resurrection. Okay, Jesus is the first one to be born from the dead. Romans says that uh, Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers, so that means that there's more to be raised from the dead as well. And looking at this being raised from the dead and this rebirth that Jesus received, what came with that when he was born from the dead came restoration. Now, you have to remember how Jesus died to understand the restoration that took place when he was raised from the grave, when God had given him life again. The prophet Isaiah, in talking about and prophesying about what would happen to God's son, the Messiah, the one to come, hundreds of years before the cross actually took place, 
The prophet Isaiah says this in 52, 14, but many were amazed when they saw him. Friend to Jesus. His face was disfigured, so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one could scarcely know that he was a man. That's how Jesus went down. That was before resurrection. Face so disfigured, couldn't even recognize that this is a man. And yet scripture says that not even a bone in his body was broken. So his flesh, completely marred, totally mutilated. And that was before the resurrection. That's in his death. And then you have the resurrection, and you have new life. You have restoration. And we get to look at what happened to that marred body, that face that was so disfigured, you couldn't even tell that it was a man. We get to see what happens after the resurrection. And I want to pick this record up here in Luke chapter 24, verse 36 through 43. And, and he, here's kind of the background. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. He appears to Mary. He uh, appeared to uh, two of his disciples on a, on a two, about two and a half hour walk. He's talking with them. And then what he does is he appears to ten of the disciples, ten of his apostles. And this is where we'll pick up. Uh, as they were talking, which is the disciples... They're talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and see my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when they... When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate with them. You have Jesus. Again, he was on this walk with his disciples. Scripture says that he just vanished then after he sat down and had a meal with these two disciples. And then you got the apostles, and they're sitting around talking about all that's been going on, the word that they've been getting, an empty tomb, and the door's locked because they're afraid of others who didn't like Jesus, knowing that they were sold out to Jesus and following Jesus. They didn't want anyone coming after them. The door was locked, and Jesus just appears in the room. And they're freaked out. They think it's a spirit. And Jesus says, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones like I do. It's a new creation. Body and spirit. You've got Jesus. Body and spirit. A restored body. I'd like to believe that half the reason why these guys were so freaked out, because the last time they saw Jesus, his face was so disfigured, they couldn't even make out that it was a man on the cross. And then they see this guy, totally restored, and they think it's a spirit. And Jesus is like, no, 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 look at my hands. Look, 
And what he showed him was his hands. And in the hands, we know that the nails were put into his hands to put him to the cross. And the same with his feet. God restores everything about his body, but leaves those two wound marks. For the apostles to literally put their hands in and feel this man. A lot of times, like in battle, if you become victorious or whatever you go through, you'd have like a wound or a scar, and it'd kind of be like, y'all have heard of like battle wounds, war wounds, battle scars. That's, that's like Jesus' battle scars. It's like, yeah, I overcame that. I overcame that. And then you have Jesus one day eat with them. He's saying, I'm hungry. So there's something different about this body. There's something different with this being born again. He's got body. He's got spirit. And the disciples, the apostles were just like, what is going on? They're marveling. There was great joy that was occurring. And like I said, there was 10 of them. The one guy we know that was missing was Thomas. And Thomas later comes back and he says, he happened to miss this event. You ever heard of FOMO? It means the fear of missing out, if you haven't heard that. That's what it stands for. I think FOMO started with, with Thomas. <laughs> Could you imagine being like, <laughs> you know, you, you, Jesus died, and, and it's been some days later, and you're just around the room like, man, I'm bored. I don't know what to do. You know, I might, I might go, go for a walk. I'm going I'm to maybe fill my gas tank up, even though it's half full. You guys want anything from the store? I'll be right back. And then you come back, and... And the rest of the guys are like, yo, Jesus just showed up, man. <laughs> and Peter's, or Thomas has got to be like, you got to be kidding me, man. You got to be kidding me. This guy, Thomas, gets a bad rap. I just feel bad for him. FOMO, that's where it started. He never left the house again. He never left the house. He, he's like, I'm staying with you guys. But a new body and a new spirit, that's what Jesus had. A new body, a new spirit. And so you guys are asking, like, all right, what's in it for us? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for me? I want to look at a verse, 1 Peter 1.3. Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us what? New life, new life. We are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. New life, that's what it means for you and I. New life, new life, new life, new life. We get to have a living hope now. We get to experience a living hope. Literally in the Greek, in the Aramaic, it reads, hope of life. You have, hope, have a hope of life now. And it's not just eternal life. It's not just eternal life. It's, it's a new life now. It's a living hope. Not, a dead, not, 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 not hope when we're down. It's hope now. Life now. All right, and you say, how does this work? Well, how does that work? How does it work? In the book of John, 
John writes this. This is one of his uh, apostles, one of the disciples. And John writes this in chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, referring to Jesus, who believed in his name, he, Jesus, gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Anyone who would receive Jesus can now receive the spirit of adoption into God's family. Peter talks a little bit more about this in, in Acts, and I'll read it here. It's 2.33, Peter speaking, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, referring to Jesus, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured, he has poured, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Okay, so this is how it works. Jesus Christ is raised from the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. God promised him that he would give him the Holy Spirit. So Jesus receives the Holy Spirit from the Father, and anyone that would believe in his name, he would then pour forth that Holy Spirit into those that believe. And that pouring forth of the Holy Spirit meant that you now could receive a spirit, as Scripture says, a spirit of adoption. In other words, you were an orphan, you were far away from God, you, were, you essentially grew up in a different household, and God says, it's time to come home now. This is your key. This is your ticket. I want to raise you in my home. I want to give you new life, and that new life is Holy Spirit. I want to give you Holy Spirit. And it's as simple as believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the ticket to make that happen. So we receive this Holy Spirit. We receive the spirit of adoption. And in God's house, he teaches us how to live, talk, walk, and act right now. The Holy Spirit is what you and I need to be reborn. The Holy Spirit is what we need to now have a direct connection with God. Fellowship as he has so desired it. See, that's the whole point of raising Jesus from the grave that then Jesus would be in that exalted position at the right hand of the Father to be able to pour forth Holy Spirit into anyone that would believe in his name. We don't have this verse up, but I, I want to read it to you. It's Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. So I'm talking about how this thing works. So we receive Holy Spirit. That's our job. We got to receive it. The other thing we have to do, though, is we have to consider our old life dead. We have to see ourselves, the past, we have to crucify that. So we associate with ourselves with the death of Christ so that we can now associate ourselves with the newness and the life of Christ. Paul puts it like this. He says 
in a very practical sense, and I think about this a lot myself, um, and, and I encourage you to think along these lines as well. In Galatians chapter 2, I think it's 21, 20, 20 and 21, but he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So you see Paul in this very practical sense. He's like, I have my old self, I've been crucified with Christ. And this life that I now live, this newness of life, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. A lot of times when, um, look, just because we receive the Holy Spirit, just because we're, you know, we receive the spirit of adoption into God's family doesn't mean you're not going to have a bad day or doesn't mean that you're going to have a challenging circumstance or doesn't mean that your past or your history is going to rise up and remind you of how unworthy you are or how guilty you should feel that you should be condemned for doing such a thing or thinking in such a way. But your job, just like my job, is to say, no, 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 no. That old me is crucified with Christ. The past, the ways you've fallen short, either as a husband or a wife or a father or a mother or a friend or just straight up a created being of God, the ways you've fallen short, you have the opportunity to associate that old man or that old way of life dead and receive a spirit of new life. And see, this new life, the Holy Spirit, is what enables us to do the challenging things. So you know what I'm talking about. We have these thoughts that come in, that condemn us, to live short of our identity. See, the enemy wants nothing more than you to associate your life, your destiny, with your previous track record. And God's saying, no, that's not it. That's not it at all. I'm giving you a new life. And I'm not only giving you a new life and a new identity as a son and a daughter, but I'm giving you power to overcome the same things that were holding you back in the day. I'm giving you power. It's a new you. So I'll have thoughts at times that come up and that rise up and that make me feel, uh, let's just say, um, uh, thoughts of frustration or thoughts of um, maybe guilt or condemnation. And I said, no, man. That guy is crucified. Or I'm driving in the car and someone cuts you off. Everyone uses that example. And like me, what I would always say is, man, I'm just born. I was born short-tempered. I was born with a short fuse. That's what I always believed and that's what I would always confess. I was just born a fighter. I was just like, I just, don't, don't catch me on the wrong day. But when that happens, I have to say, no, man, I was crucified with Christ. That's the old me. (laughs) That's the old me. I'm not like that anymore. I'm not like that anymore. This is the new me. I've been thinking about this record in the Gospels that I, I'm really excited to share with you right now. And I really hope that it, it, it touches your heart as much as it has touched my heart. I've been thinking about this record for weeks now. 
And it's, it's, in, the record, it's in the Gospel of John. And um, I think we just jump into it. I, I don't really know how to tee it up for us right now. But let's just, let's just jump into it, okay? Uh, it's John chapter 9, verses 1. We're going to just start there. All right. Uh, as he passed, Jesus... As Jesus passed, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Okay, so you have Jesus and his disciples walking by. They see this man who is uh, born blind and his disciples ask him, yo, who, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Because in their culture, to have such a physical ailment, they believed that like, it was almost like a curse from God. Like either, was it this guy or was it his parents that really messed up? Like which one was it? Because he's, he's obviously he's got a consequence for something. And Jesus is like, in so many words, don't focus on, on the past. Don't focus on the cause of this. But rather focus on what's going to come from this. So that the works of God might be displayed in this man. And I'm just going to throw up this out there and just say right now, don't focus on your past, but focus on what can come from where you're at right now. So that the works of God might be glorified, might be displayed. And so here's what happens. Um, we don't have time to read the whole record, but Jesus goes up to the man and he, he spits on the ground, this blind man, man, blind from birth, spits on the ground, takes the mud, anoints his eyes, and he says, you know what, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So the guy does that, and he can see. He's, he's got sight now. He's never had sight before in his life. Born blind, all this guy knows is darkness, and now this man can see. And he's no longer begging He's no longer sitting in the same position, which so many people saw this guy as they just walked by time and time again. There's the guy born blind, begging, sitting there. And the thing about this is Jesus Jesus did this on the Sabbath. And in their culture, in the Jewish law, you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. So you have the Pharisees, the same guys who took Jesus, who were threatened by Jesus. They took Jesus to the Romans to have him crucified. These same Pharisees didn't like that this man got healed on this day. They're trying to find fault. And so they go through this whole thing. They're calling the guy's parents like, did this, really, did this man, who, who did this to him? Who made him see again? And you have the parents who are like, look, talk to him. He's of age. Because they didn't want to get in trouble. You know? And this guy, they come to, they come to this guy again. And, and they're trying to get him to confess that Jesus did it and he's a sinner. And, uh, and, and he messed up. So that they can like really stick it to Jesus now. And, and John will pick it up in verse 24, um, 9, 24. For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And the blind man answered, he said, 
Whether this man is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know. Though I was blind, now I see. Though I was blind, now I see. One thing I do know. This blind man didn't care about the religious, political arguments. Who did what, when. He's like, oh, look, all I know is I've been in darkness my whole life. I encountered this man who I could not see. I took instruction from him. I listened and obeyed, and now I see. And I'm in a different position than when I was previously. I'm no longer sitting, begging in the same position, looking for handouts. All the people around recognize this man's different now. Could you imagine the life change? He didn't see Jesus face to face. He had had another encounter with Jesus later. But all he did was just listen and obey. He listened to the voice of Jesus. Obeyed and was changed. And this story just strikes the greatest chord for me because this is what it looks like to receive the spirit of adoption, to be reborn. A lot of us have heard that term, be born again, be born again, be born again in church and Christian circles. Yes, be born again where you look different. And I can say personally, once I was here, it's like I don't know everything about the scriptures. And in fact, I don't really understand how God raised Jesus from the grave when he did that three days and three nights after his death. And I don't really understand how the spirit comes in or when it comes in. I don't know the logistics of it exactly. All I know is what Scripture says. It says, receive the Son of Man. Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. And so that's what I know. That's, there's one thing I do know. I can tell you that right now. And I'll just speak from my personal story, my personal testimony. Once I was here, and now I'm here. My life looks totally different in the past 13 years that I've decided to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and to follow him. And guess what? I haven't had a one-on-one with Jesus yet. I haven't seen him All I've done is just listened and obeyed. And by golly, that newness of life is available. Where I'm not trapped in sin anymore. I'm not trapped in anxious and evil thoughts. 
I'm not trapped in feeling condemned. I'm not trapped in feeling frustrated and anxious about the future and never measuring up or being stuck into my old identity and using the things that I've done in the past to call out my value and my worth. See, there's a new day. There's new life available. It's the works of God that he wants displayed in you when we receive his son. He wants to show off. I say this a lot. He wants to show off through you. He wants to take your life from there and bring it here. I want to... This is the last verse we'll look at together. It's in Revelation. And Jesus is speaking. It's chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. This is John, one of Jesus' apostles, disciples. He walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, saw Jesus up on the cross, saw the resurrected, the restored Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he has this vision. Jesus Christ gives him this vision. And he says, John, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as good as dead. But he laid his right hand on me. And I heard his reassuring voice saying, don't yield to fear. I am the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the living one. I was dead, but now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys that unlock death in the unseen world. Jesus is telling John, he's like, look, I was dead once I'm alive. And I hold the keys now. I hold the keys to the unseen life. I hold the keys to the sin you're trapped in. I hold the keys to new vision. I hold the keys to new expectations. I hold the keys to your identity. I hold the keys to all the ways you're striving to try to provide to yourself. I hold the keys to that. I hold the keys to life. We sang that song earlier, Jesus holds every victory. Yeah, he does. Man, he's got it all. And it's not just a Sunday to Sunday thing. It is a life, it's it's walking in a newness of life with him. The one who holds the keys, the one who has the authority to bring you out of just that cycle that you're in, the cycle of sin, the cycle of frustration, the cycle of fear. As Jesus said, don't yield to fear. You don't have to fear anymore because I've got your future. I've got the keys to the victory that you need. So I want to speak to everyone right now. Speaking to everyone. Those of you that have received 
Jesus Christ at some age, and you've confessed that he's your Lord, I want to give you an opportunity, an invitation to to receive in greater measure this newness of life that he has for you. If you can't say that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, a true disciple of him, I'm talking to you. If you can't honestly say that you have recognized this newness of life yet, but yet you've still received Jesus as your Lord, today's day one for you in your walk. And I want to speak to those who haven't had the opportunity to accept Jesus as their Lord. Who can't necessarily say with confidence that they are in God's family. I want to give you that opportunity to receive him as well. And so if you're in any of those positions, anywhere in between, I want you to raise your hand. Uh Uh-oh, don't be shy. I said earlier this morning to our team, I said, the days of being shy to follow Jesus are absolutely over with. I mean, his face was disfigured for your sake and your eternal life. And if you don't feel comfortable to say, yeah, God, I want more with you. Well, that's okay. I'll be the only one up here with my hand raised. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray with you right now. Put, your, put that hand, put it right on your chest. All right. I'm going to have the band come up while I pray. God, you're so good. Father, I thank you for allowing us to receive your son. Father, I thank you so much for just everything that Christ went through for us. Everything he went through, Father, so that we could be brought back into your family, that we would have opportunity to be in your family, knowing that we are far outside your family without your spirit, Father. So I thank you, Father, that the spirit is available now. And I I thank you, Father, for the humility of every hand that was raised to go into a deeper relationship with you, Father. I thank you, Father, for exalting them and making good on your promise just like you made good on your promise when you told our Lord that you would raise him from the dead. You're going to make good on the promise of newness of life as we listen and obey to the one who is exalted at your right hand. So, Father, I thank you for this. And I thank you for blessing the hearers. In Jesus Christ's name, I pray. Amen. I love you guys. All right, you guys ready to stand? Do you believe that the victory is yours?
That was so lame. Do you believe that the victory is yours? Yes. Yes. We're going to sing every victory again. This time, I know you know it. Let's sing it together. Yeah. Cause every 
saying, come on, Jesus, Jesus, one name, one name holds every victory, oh, a voice that silences the enemy, oh, one king, and who reigns for all you guys.